0: Everyone, it is good to be back with you all. Have you guys been enjoying the book? Those that have read the book, I know some that have read the book. What uh, (laughs) not enjoyable, (laughs) people can be very cruel, unfortunately. But uh, thank God, in the midst of this, Brother Yoon, you know, just. You know, connected with the Lord and was used by the Lord in really, uh, you know, incredible ways. And I think, right, the idea behind this class is this idea of cultivating a radical faith. And uh, I think, you know, so many times, so many believers have settled for an anemic faith, that what is really biblical faith is like non-existent. Right? I mean, really, really, we're called to be, we're called to be radical for the Lord and we're called to be spiritual champions uh, and to do great things for him but I want to start by sharing with you something uh, you know there was a businessman and he was in great trouble and his business was failing and everything that he had he put, everything that he owned he put into the business and so one day he was contemplating suicide but as a last resort he went to his pastor and said what can I do I am desperate the pastor this is what you do go to the beach take your bible open the bible wherever the wind blows open that page the first thing you see that's what you're supposed to do and so he goes to the beach he takes out his bible several about six about a year goes by he shows back up to the church he's like dressed in a really nice tailored suit his wife is dressed in the nines his kids are looking great and he has a big envelope with a wad of cash in it that he puts in the pastor's hand. And the pastor says, that, I just want to thank you. The advice you gave me worked. He said, well, when you opened the Bible, what was the first thing you read? He said, chapter 11. <laughs> Get it? Chapter 11, business chapter 11. <laughs> My inner Jerry Seinfeld there, you know, hang, hang with me. Because we're here in Hebrews chapter 11 is what uh, Pastor Phil told me to look at. This is the by faith chapter. By faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. And then, the specific focus, verse 8 By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And all these died in faith, without receiving the promises, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear, that they are seeking a country of their own, and if indeed they had been thinking of the country from which they had went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But it, is, but it is, they desire, but as it is, they desire a better country that is in heaven, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So Abba, we just want to thank you tonight for this opportunity to come together, to open your word, and to look at this idea of what it means to have a radical faith and what it means to be like Abraham, to be a sojourner, to be one who is looking for a city not made with human hands, not looking to a city that is made with earthly foundations, but looking to something more, looking to what is beyond. And we pray that tonight that you would stir something in our hearts. Give us the ruach shalchma v'hikalut, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know you better and to know the wisdom from this passage to apply in our life in such a way as to change us and transform us. We bless you now in the name of your son, Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah's Messiah. Amen. So, friends, you can feel free to ask questions as we go along. Don't worry about interrupting me. Uh, This is a, a New King James Version. But let's just say that Hebrews 11 talks about spiritual radicals, talks about those who walk by faith. We touched a little bit on faith last time. And one of the things that made Abraham and Sarah great is that they were sojourners. And I think that's what God is calling us to be. They're calling us to be sojourners. And a sojourner is one who has this perspective that I'm not home. I am on this journey, and I'm looking for the place that I belong. I'm on a journey. I'm looking for the destination. And I think most of you guys have heard my story, but for those of you that haven't, I'll just just tell you it's like, it says in this passage that those that were looking for an earthly country from which they had gone out, they had, would have had the opportunity to return. You know, when I was in the music industry and I was working with all these famous people and I looked at their lives and I said, there had to be more than this. And I began my spiritual journey and I basically became a Jew, boo, a Jewish Buddhist, a New Age Jew. And I was meditating one day, Aum. And and as I was meditating, I'd meditate for hours a day, looking for a real connection with God. I'd go to the synagogue, but we'd try to connect. One day, my soul literally began to vibrate. It left my body. I saw myself sitting there, went through the roof, went into heaven. And the next thing I know, I was standing before this king, Ramvanisha, high and lifted up on this throne, majestic and awesome, robed in glory. And I could feel the, his power emanating throughout hev- heaven, emanating throughout my body. Literally, every cell in my body became alive. I was in a state of euphoria, a state of ecstasy, as the Lord spoke to me and told me I was called to serve him. And the next thing I knew, I was down in my body, running around, calling, I'm called to serve Jesus. My mom's like, you're called to serve who? You're a Jewish boy. What are you talking about? And that really, that experience drove me to pursue who was Yeshua. It, it drove me to, to even deeper into my a spiritual journey, a spiritual quest. And as I look back on that experience, and as I've looked at on a few other subsequent experiences that I've had, where I I've, where I've, have I've had heavenly encounters, I can tell you that earth is just a is just a car it's just a, a photocopy of the reality that God created us for. Like heaven is so alive, the colors, the sounds, the feeling, it's like you can feel with every cell in your body in heaven. You can it's just incredible. And what I what i why I say this is because like once you encounter the Lord in that way, once you encounter once you encounter the glory of God in heaven, it wrecks you for life. It wrecks you for life. Because you literally understand what the, what the psalmist says is one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. No drug, no pleasure, food, sex, money, anything in this world. When you experience the reality of heaven, all of those things in this world that people hold in such value and such esteem, it is nothing and less than nothing compared to seeing the lord and encountering his presence and his glory and his grace and his goodness and his love feeling that the creator of all the king of kings knows every cell of your being that he knows you better than you know yourself that he created you and and he and he and, and, he, and, and he and he has a desire for you and and when you encounter him like that it's like it, that you realize that that there's nothing more that you could ever want in life. That the things that so many times we're pursuing and holding on to and desiring, that, you know, it's like it's, 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 it does, it's not worth it. And that we're, we're, we're not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a spiritual one. You know, we're primarily spiritual beings at our essence and at our core. And you understand that this world is a place of preparation. You prepare in this world for the next. It's what Messiah says. You can only work while it's what? While it's light, right? You can't work while it's dark. It's like this world is, we're in the year 5776 on the Hebrew calendar, and God creates the world in how many days? Six days. The six days of creation represent this life. The seventh day represents the life of the world to come, the days of the Messiah. You work, you, you can only work, you have to work and prepare on the sixth day for the seventh, for the Sabbath. There's no work on the Sabbath. This world is the place where we prepare ourselves in this world for the next. That's what Abraham is looking for. He's a sojourner. He's not looking for just wealth, he's not looking for just honor. He's looking, for God and for his promises. He's looking for the promise of not just life in this world, but he's looking for life in the world to come. And the reality is is so many times we live so much for this world that, <laughs> that, that we don't live and prepare for the life of the world to come. And i got to tell you, it's like, well, we'll talk about that more in a second. There's a story of a famous rabbi. His name is the Chafetz Chaim. Can you say that? Chafetz? Chaim. It's actually from the book of Psalms. It says, it, says, for th- it, says uh, it means lover of life. It says, those who love life, guard your tongue from speaking evil, right? From speaking badly. Turn from evil and do good. And so this, this, this he, he was called the Hafez Chaim because he was famous for his teaching on um, godly speech and what constitutes godly speech versus gossip. But there's a story, he's a famous rabbi. People would come to see him from all over the world. So one day, this wealthy businessman was traveling through Europe, and he went to the home of the Chafetz Chaim, and he comes into his house, and he comes into his living room, and there's a wooden table and a few chairs and a a, a worn-torn type of couch. And when the Chafetz Chaim comes out, he says, you're a famous rabbi. People from all around the world come to see you. He said, "I don't understand. Where is you live in a hovel? Where is all your furniture? Where is all your possessions?" And he said, "Where's your possessions? Where's your couch? Where's your..." The man's like, "What do you?" Do? He goes, "Don't be silly." He goes, "I'm from America." He goes, "I'm I'm I'm traveling across. I'm traveling across Europe. I'm just passing through. Why would I carry? I, how could I carry all my stuff with me?" And the Chavez Chaim says, "The same is true of me." In this life, I'm just passing through. That's Abraham. That's what it means to be a sojourner. It's kind of like we're just passing through. The goal, I mean, if you're just passing through, you're not carrying all sorts of stuff with you as you're passing through. And so sojourners don't hold on to things too tightly. They're willing to travel light. They don't make their possessions or their profession their primary purpose and reason for being. Because when we do that, we're living in Egypt. Abraham spent some time in Egypt. But Abraham wasn't meant to live in Egypt. Egypt is not the place of promise. In Hebrew, Egypt literally means Mitzrayim. Can you say Mitzrayim? It literally means a place of confinement and restriction. It's a place of being boxed in. And the Egyptians were boxed in, they were hemmed in, because for them it was all about their possessions. I mean, I've never seen a a U-Haul following a hearse, have you? But the Egyptians tried, (laughs) right? They created these giant pyramids, and they put all of gold and wealth and all the things that they were going to take with them to use in the afterlife, and it didn't work out too well for them. And it's the same thing, I don't know if I shared this last time, but it's kind of like we talked a little bit about this. But it's like how you trap monkeys. Right? You put you put the you put the banana in the trap, and all the monkey has and all the, if the monkey sticks his hand in the trap, all the monkey has to do is let go of the banana and he can get free. But the monkey so wants the banana, he can't let go of it, and therefore he gets trapped. So many times we we end up in Egypt because we become our possessions and our pursuit of our professions and our wealth actually become what enslaves us and entraps us. We become slaves to the mortgage, slaves to our job, not able to fulfill our destiny because we're so in debt, living above our means, pursuing what we think is the perfect life, but what we really are is trapped we don't have the ability to be sojourners because sojourners are not looking to get sojourners realize that we're passing through and to keep the main thing the main thing to keep the focus the right focus that's what I love about Abraham I mean I mean and Abraham had wealth but he didn't but wealth wasn't the purpose of his life and we read the rabbis say we should ask ourselves this question when will our deeds reach those of our fathers? When will our deeds reach those of our fathers? It's like what Yeshua says. Jesus says, greater things than these what? You'll do. But for our deeds to reach the deeds of our fathers, we have to understand how they live because their lives teach us what it means to be spiritual champions and co laborers of God who experience and impart blessing. And so it's interesting that there were 10 generations from from Noah to Abraham, and God didn't really, there was was no major blessing that rested upon those 10 generations. Until God finds Abraham. Because it's written in Nehemiah 9.3, it says, And you found his heart faithful before you. So what set Abraham apart from all the 10 generations was his Lev. Can you say Lev? Lev means heart in Hebrew. Lev means heart. He looked at his heart, and he found his heart faithful. Abraham had a different heart. The condition of his heart was special and unique. And you know what one of the things that God used to determine the condition of Abraham's heart? Testing. (laughs) Because this is what we read, right? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham went through these testing, and this is the first test, to leave everything to, to follow. And these ten tests that Abraham withstood were in order to make known how great was our father's love for God. The ten tests that Abraham went through was to demonstrate Abraham's faithful heart and his great love for God. Now imagine how our lives would be changed if we saw every trial and every test as a means to demonstrate our love for God. Right? Abraham saw, ultimately, Abraham could find the joys in the testing. We tend to only see the oys in the testing, right? We see the oys, it's a very just oy. why are you doing this to me? Yeah, yeah. He could see the, he could see he c- c- could see God in it in his heart. You know, we just had a part of a memorial service for a woman. She was a, she just died at eighty something years old, a Jewish believer, and this woman was in the hospital for a year, in the hospital or in rehab for a year. And she got healed several times miraculously of different things. And she had such faith that she was going to get out. But while she was in there, she must have led about 70 people to the Lord in her year in the hospital. I mean, the way God used her was incredible. And she was just rejoicing that that was her assignment to be in the hospital, to sing God's praises, led nurses to the Lord, witness to the doctors, Led patients to the Lord. I mean, everyone that came into her room, I mean, when she was in the hospitals, the nurses and the doctors like, we like, ne- are, are you a celebrity? We've never seen so many people show up because they thought, you know, they thought she was on her deathbed, right? And so, I mean, she was beloved. She's no one famous in this world. But this was, I mean, I've never seen a woman so committed, despite all of her pain and all of her sufferings, to just finding God in the midst of it. It's like Brother Yun. And so Abraham goes through these ten tests. I'll list the ten tests for you, in case you're interested. Number one is leaving his country. Number two is famine in the land of Israel. Number three, Sarah was taken by Pharaoh. Number four is the war against the four kings. Number five was Hagar was uh, taking Hagar as a wife. Number six was his circumcision. That's a real test. <laughs> Number seven was Sarah taken to Abimelech. Number eight was the expulsion of Hagar. Number nine was the expulsion expulsion of Ishmael. And number 10 was the binding of Isaac. Genesis 22, offer your son. So the nature of the test, the the first things we need to know is that tests are meant to bless us and not to stress us. When it says God tested Abraham... The word for test in Hebrew is the same word that means to, it's connected to the word nasa, which means to lift up, to raise up. It's also connected to the word for miracle. Because when we pass the test, it's meant to lift us up. Tests are meant to elevate us. They're not meant to break us. They're meant to make us. And God tested Abraham for the purpose of promotion. And every problem, and we have to understand that every problem we face has a promise attached to it. Every problem has a promise and a provision attached to it. So when you're faithful to pass the promise, when you're faithful to pass and work through the problem, you're going to see God's promise and his provision come in to your life in a new way. Could you imagine if, if, if like you know, I called you on the you called me on the phone. And you're like, Jason, how you doing? I'm like, I'm awesome. Like, really, what's going on? I have got a massive problem in my life, and there is no possible. I don't. I have. There's no possible human solution to it. That's good news. Yeah, because. Man, you know how big the promise and the opportunity for promotion that's attached to the problem is? Right? According to the problem is the promise. The greater the problem, the greater the promise. If we saw problems as a means of promotion, if we saw problems and we could find the promise in the midst of it like Abraham did, how would that change the way that we lived. How would that change our perspective? See, we can't see the promise. We get so focus on the problem because we're focused on what we're, because we're focused on our physical feelings and emotions and realities. And so we, so we struggle with that because we're not focused, we're focused on things below and not on things above. Right? That's why Jesus would say, Yeshua would say, the last will be what? first. That's why it says it's harder for a rich person to enter into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why? Because those of us that have more, the more that we have, the more focused we are on having to preserve and maintain what we have. There's nothing wrong if God blesses us with a lot, but the danger is to get focused and fixated on maintaining and protecting and, and growing what it is that we have. That's why the greatest revivals happen in the places where there's often persecution around the world. Because people just have simple faith. They're not caught up in all this, you know, in all these other things that are not primary. They're desperate for the Lord. There's no other, nothing else they have. And so the, di- the different the difference between divinely sent there's a and there's a difference between divinely sent tests and human ones god knows the outcome so they're not for his sake they're for ours like this isn't god tested Abraham god didn't test it for his sake he tested Abraham he tested Abraham for Abraham's sake and for our sake to learn from Abraham so the testing is not to break us down they're meant to bring us to bring us blessing, and we'll talk more about that. But let me just stop and ask if there's any question. I want to look at the first test mentioned here, which is to leave everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hagar. Sarah and Hagar. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the part of the barrenness of the matriarchs was to teach the matriarchs and the patriarchs faith to depend upon God. It's part of the reason why Abraham and Sarah have kids at such an old age. There was no possible way for the promise to be fulfilled, except by depending upon the Lord to fulfill the promise, to teach us the lesson that with faith, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible, you know, and so, yeah. Damascus right yeah and a lot of times what we happen when when like with Sarah like when we have the promise and the promise seems improbable (laughs) and we face some problems with the promise there's two responses there's two responses, right? Sarah does two things, right? The first is she laughs at the promise. Psh, come on, I'm going to get pregnant. What are you ridiculous? Or you got to be? You forget about it. I'm from. You forget about it. It's not going to happen. And so, so many times we laugh at the promise because we lack faith. Come on, Lord, you're going to. There's no way you're going to do that for me. We can either laugh at the promises or we can laugh with the promises. She named her son Isaac because she went from laughing at to laughing with. And she said, everyone will see what God has done, how he fulfilled my promise, and, and they'll laugh with me. And we've got to be people that, you know, we, you know, we have oys in life, but we can find the joy in the midst of the oi, and we can laugh at the problems because we have the promise. See, when you can laugh at the problems because you have the promise, you are scary to the enemy. You're scary. You're dangerous at that point. To find the joy, to find God, to laugh at it, not to be overwhelmed by it, but to be overwhelmed by the Lord, to know nothing is impossible with him, and to be able to just have the faith to laugh you know, it's, it's a powerful thing. And, you know, God, I'm sure Abraham wasn't laughing when he first heard the Lord say to, to leave everything. This is the background. to so this is Genesis chapter 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Lech lecha, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God calls Abraham to leave three things. To leave, leave your country, leave your birthplace, and leave your father's house. Go. I want you to go on a journey. And there's two aspects of this journey. To be a sojourner, there's two aspects to be a sojourner, to be on this spiritual journey. One is a literal, physical journey. He literally has to pick up and move. Okay? And it's an aspect to our journey with God that literally requires going that's the great commission therefore go and make disciples god is going to send us we are going to go places and we're to take him with us wherever it is that we go but the other aspect of this journey is a spiritual inner journey and the physical journey was for the sake of the spiritual inner journey the lord is asking abraham for more than just a change of address He's not just saying, Abraham, I want you to change locations. I want you to change where you live. The word, can you say lech lecha? Hebrew, the word lech means to go. Lecha literally means to yourself. So literally the command to Abraham is not just go. It literally means, in in, in the literal translation is Abraham, go to yourself. Well, what does that mean? me share with you a story. So there's this, there's, when I was growing up as a child, when I went to Hebrew school, that we would take out books from the library and the synagogue, and there was this great story books. You can still get them. They're they're pretty funny. They're called the story, they're called the stories of Helm, okay? And Helm, it's just a made-up story, and the made-up story is this, that God, one day, the, at one point, God was the angels were carrying all the fool, a number of foolish souls that were meant to be dispersed throughout the world in a sack. And as it came across these mountains in Eastern Europe, the bag ripped and the, it opened up and all these foolish souls landed in this one town called Helm. And so these guys do really silly and foolish things in their logic. They think they're really smart and, th- and their logic is so crazy that it's funny. And so this one day, one of these guys... Uh, Yassel goes into the he's going He's going to go to the the the, Schvitz, the bathhouse right and, and relax before the Sabbath and he thinks to himself oh my goodness I've got a major problem when we're naked we all look the same so what if I go there and I get undressed and I relax and I forget who I am what am I supposed to do so he turns to, so, he's to, so he tells his rabbi, and the rabbi says, listen, I got an idea for you. Don't be nervous. What I want you to do is tie a red string around your big toe, and when you look down at the red string on your big toe, you will, you will be certain. You don't have to worry. You'll know it's you. And so he goes, and he's in the bathhouse, and he gets out, and all of a sudden he looks over, and he sees the red string on, the other, on another guy's toe. And he's like, oh, my goodness. He goes up to me and he goes, I know, who I, I know who you are, but can you please tell me who I am? And the reality is, is that all of us are kind of like that. All, so many times we have these strings in our lives that define our identity. Right? What is our string? Is it our job? Is it our children? Is it our spouse? It is it our ministry? What are those strings? What are those things that if you were to lose in your life, you wouldn't know who you are anymore? And there's so many times like people lose that one thing and literally they have a breakdown or commit suicide or their life falls apart because that is the thing that their identity is so wrapped up in. And apart from that thing, they have no idea who they are. And the thing about sojourners is that they know their true destiny, their destination, they know their destiny so they don't lose their identity. They don't lose themselves in the journey. Let me say it to you like this. When I was 16 years old, I met the first love of my life. Now, you guys, I'm from Jersey, so where does a good kid from Jersey meet the first love of his life? At the what? At the mall. (laughs) The mall state. Jersey's the mall state. The first malls were created in New Jersey, Cherry Hill, New Jersey in the mall and she was much older than I was and I lied to her about my age and we fell in love and one day we're walking in the mall and she's like Jason she goes if you really love me that look they're having a sale on diamond rings at Zales let's go look and see what's how much they are and so we go look and she's like you know oh I really like this one can you buy it for me let's get engaged I'm like I have no money She's don't worry. She goes, I'll put it on my credit card, and you can pay me back later. <laughs> and we got engaged. Now the funny thing about it is that sh- her family were the first believers that I ever knew, and she wasn't really. I, she wasn't a believer, but her parents thought she was a believer. She, their parents thought she was at youth group, and she was hanging out with me, and uh, we weren't studying the Bible, and and so. Her, her pastor was the first one to witness to me. One day she's like, Jason, if you love me, let's get engaged. I was like, I've got no job, no money. I can't provide for you. She said, don't worry. My stepfather is a train conductor for the New Jersey Amtrak, and he can get you a job as a ticket taker. And one day if you work really hard, you can work your way up to being a conductor, and there's great benefits, and we can get married and start our life together. And at the same time, I had the opportunity to to get a job in this large recording studio in New York City, and I had to choose the girl or the job. I chose the job. And I learned a lesson in my life. If you don't know who you are, and if you don't have a purpose for your life and know who you are, someone else will tell you and give you theirs. Go to yourself. Meaning, know who God has created you and called you to be. Know his purpose and destiny for your life. Know that just like there's an outer journey that God has us on through our life, there's also an inner spiritual journey that God has us on for, and that we're in the process of trying to become the person and fulfill the destiny that he called us to become. There was a great spiritual leader. He was on his deathbed. His disciples were gathered around him. And they could see that he he kind of of went into a vision, a trance. He came out. They saw and They said, what happened? He said, I had a heavenly encounter. I went to heaven, and I stood before God's throne. And and, and God asked me some questions. God asked me a question. They said, what question did he ask you? Tell us. They're like, they want to know. He said, well, let me tell you what God didn't tell me. What he didn't ask me was, Jacob, why weren't you like David? Jacob, why weren't you like Abraham? It's not what he said. He said, Jacob, why weren't you more like Jacob? God's not asking you if you're more like this great person or that person or whatever person. He's asking you why aren't you like you? Why aren't you living the life that he created you for? Why isn't he why aren't you being the person that you are supposed to be? Cuz anything else is an imitation. Don't imitate another. He created you to be unique. So what we're saying here is that you have to but you, you have to leave behind where you come from and who you were to become who you were truly created to be. And there's things that seek to define us in our destiny that don't come from the Lord. And Abraham did not have an illustrious spiritual past. He was born in Ur, which was part of the Babylonian Empire. It was ruled by Nimrod, the person who, according to Jewish tradition, built the Tower of Babel. You know why he, they built the Tower of Babel to the heavens? You know why they did that? Because they knew about the flood, and they figured they weren't going to get flooded out again. They're like, you know, if God ever wants to judge us, well, have a Tower to the heavens is not going to work. But you know, who, you know who his dad was? Abraham's dad, Terah, was an idol, not just an idol worshiper, he was an idol maker. <laughs> he didn't just worship idols, he made idols. There's a funny story in, in the Jewish tradition that said Abraham's father actually had an idol business. He had an idol shop. And one day his dad had to, had to go out on some business, and he asked Abe, Abraham to watch the store. And a big wealthy man came in to buy an idol, and he says, give me an idol that befits my wealth and my status. And Abraham gave him, Abraham looked at this large guy, and he said, how old are you? And the guy said, I'm 50 years old. He said, you're 50 years old. Aren't you embarrassed to worship an idol that was made yesterday? And the man walked out. An old woman came in. She says, I need some new idols. You're not going to believe it. My idols were just stolen from my home. And he said to her, if your idols couldn't protect themselves, how do you think your idols are going to be able to protect you? Right? We think we have these idols in our lives. We think they're going to protect us. They can't protect us. They can't define us. A third woman came in, and she said, I have an offering, and I want to give it to the biggest idol. So she gave it to the biggest idol. She put it before him. And while Abraham's uh, father is gone, what he did is he took a wooden pole, he smashed all of the idols, and he put the pole into the, he put the pole used to smash all the others he put it into the hands of the largest idol in the shop. And his dad came back and he said, what happened, Abraham, to all of these idols? You know how much money we lost? And he said, dad, a woman came in here and she gave food to, 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 to the biggest idol and the other idols wanted it. And they started to the fight over it. And he took the stick and he broke all the other idols. And, Abra- and Abraham's father said, what do you think? I'm a fool? They're, they're idols, they don't move. And he says, and Abraham says, and dad, why do you worship them? And one of the keys to being a radical sojourner is to put away idols and to pursue the blessing of God's presence instead. To recognize and to serve him, which is the first commandment. Put away idols. Jacob's wife had to put away her idols before they entered the promised land and encountered the Lord. So, Radical sojourners are not traveling with idols You cannot enter into the promised land if you're carrying your idols just like Rachel couldn't enter in with Jacob while she was holding on to her idols. And idols are all those things we either serve or place before the Lord in our lives. They can be people, work, ministry, sex, pleasure, anything. And idols give us a sense of identity, worth, status, comfort, satisfaction, pleasure, It's why people worship them. The problem is that those who make idols become like them. You know, you ever see see sometimes people begin to look like their pets? Or do pets look like the people, right? People idolize their pets, they begin to look like them, right? And so, Abraham was a seeker of truth, and those who seek will find. Go. To yourself, Lech Lecha, his outer journey was accompanied by an inner struggle that was meant to transform him. And Abraham had to overcome his past baggage, the negative inheritance that he received, the physical and spiritual limitations in order to become and achieve who he was. And Abraham had to go go to himself by going out from where his family was. He had, he had, to, he had to put the past behind him before he could move into the future. Abraham could not go to himself, could not find his true purpose and destiny where he was. And how many of us are holding on to past hurts, grudges, disappointments, regrets, and you can't lay hold and apprehend the promised blessing while you're still holding on to your past pains, past hurts, and past idols. And to the degree that these things maintain a pull over your life, it will literally pull you apart. You know why God hates idols? Because they pull us apart. God doesn't hate idols because he's jealous that somehow he's not getting our full attention. He's, he hates idols because of what idols do to us. They break us and they fragment us. That's why he hates idolatry. Because idolatry is dangerous to our well-being and the well-being of humanity. It's like I had a friend who led a major ministry, and they wanted to bring me out there to minister, and they wanted to potentially hire me, and I, I, God gave me this word from him. I said, I feel like God is saying to you that if you, I feel like you guys are trying to live off of, I said, yesterday's mana. I said, the mana is only good for the day. I, said, I feel like you had these glory years And you're gonna try and they because they left, they'd done this ministry, they left the ministry, they came back to the ministry, and they were gonna rebuild this ministry better than before. But the way they wanted to rebuild the ministry better than before was that they were just gonna do the same thing they did in the past with the exact same people, and it's like 10 years later. And I'm and I said, I said, I feel like the Lord is saying if you try and live off your past mind, if you try and live off your past glories, your past, try and do things just the way you did it before, you're not going God's not going to bless it. You're not going to see God is doing a new thing, and you need to discern what that new thing God is doing is. They you know, they went with the old thing, and it didn't work out so well. Did I share with you um, last time here my, my airport dream? Did I share that with you? About the luggage, so I shared with you last time, right? About the luggage. So anyway, so 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 to illustrate this point, this is such a powerful thing. I want you guys to really think about this. I had I don't have too many God dreams, and I was in the airport, and I get my tickets for the for the plane, and I walk to the gate, and they call me back to the counters. The the stewardess, the 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 attendant takes my ticket, rips it up, and they give me new tickets, and I look at the tickets and it says seat one. It's in first class. And I'm so happy. I just got a free upgrade on a long flight. And I'm so excited. I got a free upgrade. So I'm walking to the plane and I realize I'm missing something. I got a Tumi roller bag when I graduated from uh, grad school, and I can't find it. So I go to this counter. I said, "Did you see my?" When I came back, to, I can't find my 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 lug, my Tumi luggage. Did you see it? And she's like, "No, I can't see." And I'm walking away. I'm like, "God, you gave me a free upgrade, but in the process, I lose my 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 luggage, my graduation gift that has been so special to me." And I felt the Lord say to me at that moment, "Jason, if you're holding on from baggage to the past, you can't get the upgrade." If you're holding on to your old baggage, you can't have the new blessing. And so many times we're holding on to these things from the past, this baggage, and God wants to bless us, but we can't let go of the baggage. What is the baggage that we're carrying? What is the stuff, the negative stuff, the, 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 the things that we've inherited, the, 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 the hurts that we've experienced, the, uh, the, unforg- the negative, whatever that is, what are those things? God says, Lech Lecha, go, leave those things behind. I'm taking you out of Egypt. Leave Egypt back in Egypt. And the Ten Trials, Abraham faced were not just to demonstrate Abraham's, f- it was, was meant to demonstrate Abraham's faith. And developing in him as a spiritual champion, a true Hebrew hero. So let me just stop there for a second and see if you guys have any questions or comments about that. Yeah. 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 The word go, th- go therefore, is the Hebrew lech, lecha. Lech means go, and lecha means, it's usually just translated go, therefore go, right? How does it translate it? It's from the word, it's lech is from the word halak, but it's in the imperative, which is lach, just lach, lach, lach. There's lach and there's lecha. So lach means to go. It's from the word halach, which means to walk, right. but it's in the imperative, which means lech, which means to go. It's, it's the Hebrew for imperative, a command. And it says lech lecha. Lecha means to go to yourself. Lecha means it's the preposition. Le, lecha is, is the lamed. it's a preposition to. And cha is the. Is the pro, is is your, uh, yourself? Yeah, it literally means lech lecha to go to yourself. Lecha in Hebrew is the l- lament l- is to, and the, the the is your yourself, to yourself. That's what it literally says. I can show you in the Hebrew Bible if you want to look afterwards. Yeah, and and by the same, the interesting thing with that is that. The first test to Abraham begins with the word lech lecha. And the last test that Abraham experiences in Genesis 22, verse 1, God tested Abraham, and he says to Abraham, therefore go, lech lecha, and offer your son. So the first test and the last test of Abraham begins with that same phrase, lech lecha, go. Okay? And so the the significance of that is that In the first test, God is saying to Abraham, will you give me your past? Will you lay your past down? Will you forsake your past? When he lays Isaac down in Genesis 22, God is saying, will you lay down and trust me with your future? Because Isaac was his future. I mean, there's no future without Isaac. He's an old man. Who's going to carry on the name? Who's going to carry on the promise? He's already kicked Ishmael out. So there's no other one to inherit there's no other one that God can fulfill the promise of the covenant and offspring to so god's saying will you lay your will you lay your future on the altar and trust me with your future like you trusted me with your past when you went yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh. We all, we, we all, listen, all of us have our idols. It's kind of like I was talking this Sunday and I said, you know, I was talking about worship because God literally puts man in the garden, Not to, it says in the Hebrew, it's usually, it's usually translated to tend the garden and to till it, but literally the best translation in the Hebrew is to worship and obey, right? So man is put in the garden not as a farmer but as a priest, as worshipers, Okay. And so I said, listen, it's not a question of whether we worship, atheist worship, agnostics worship. Worship is in our DNA. Everyone worships. It's only a matter of what you worship. Do you worship the creator or do you worship the creation? Because those are the two options. You either worship the creator or you worship the creation. That's Romans, the first three chapters. Right, they traded the image of the true God for the creation. You know, either you worship the Lord, or you worship yourself. You worship your possessions. You worship your job. Whatever it is, but you're going to worship something. Whatever that thing that is the you. And worship literally means, and the the English word worship comes from the Latin word, which means to ascribe worth to. So the things that we worship, whatever you ascribe ultimate value and meaning to, it is that which you worship. That is truly what you worship. Of course. Of course. I th- Yeah, I mean I th- I yeah, I mean I, I think I mean I constantly have to check my heart. Because it is, because it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll give it another analogy. One of the things the it's the the, the wisdom of the rabbis tell us is says, don't make the Torah a spade. What it, what they're saying is, don't make God's word into, the, don't make your motivation in life for studying the word of God, in order to teach it to make a livelihood or a name for yourself. Right. So the challenge in ministry, the challenge is someone who does ministry as a vocation. Well, whether it's paid ministry or or the primary, whether it's your vocation or avocation. Right. One of the greatest dangers is that I study and I serve not out of my love for God, but because this is how I earn my livelihood or this is how I earn my identity. This is how I earn my value. Hold on. So, yeah, that that is something we have to really look at. And 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 wrestle with because I think that is one of the primary reasons why people in ministry burn out. We they burn out because we make the goal in life the ministry, and it's very da- it's it's too easy to 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 do it from the sense of of of, uh, of 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 your passion becoming to grow the ministry to impact lives to make a living and. All these sorts of things, and it's easy to lose God in the midst of it. And I think that's what happens so many times when people in ministry burn out or fall into temptation and they fall. It's what I think it talks about of losing your first love in the book of Revelation. And there's no Mm -hmm. more easier place than to lose your first love than in ministry. It's really, I think, one of the greatest challenges to doing this full time, to, to serving God and making even your purpose and destiny and calling in life so, you know, because I, I see, I mean, I've, I've gone through periods of my life when I'm so focused on building the ministry that I've had it God's convicted me, you know, you're spending more time doing, b- trying to build this than you're spending with me. And that's, And that's reality for many people. And, 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 and a lot of times it's not even because they're even wanting to make a name. They're just passionate and excited about what we're called to do. Or they're overwhelmed by the amount of needs that the people around them have. And that's why I think the, 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 like one of the things that has kept me in ministry is John 21 that God showed to me when I was young. When he says to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And and the Lord said to me, because I was going through, I was really hurt by some people. And the Lord said, I didn't say serve the people or tend the sheep or feed the sheep or shepherd the sheep. If they're nice to you and if they appreciate you and if they love you, if you love me, that's what you're going to have to do. That's why you do it. So I've tried to be very intentional about keeping that and also, honestly, not really caring what people think about me. I try very hard not to care. And I, I try n- not to care what people think about me in the sense of taking it too seriously. And I try not to hold on to anything too tightly. It's just that, you know, God has taken ministries away from me. He's taken things away from me. And he's brought things. It's not mine. It's his. I'm just the steward of it. There's no word for ownership in Hebrew. Something can be, like we said, lacha to yourself, the way you say possession is li, it's that same lamed, to me, something is to me. Because there's no ownership like the land. No one can own, the, no one owns the land, the promised land. No one, biblically, no one owns it, right? It's allotted to the tribes. The tribes allot it to families. That's why there can be a year of jubilee where rever- land reverts back or slaves revert are set free. You can't own someone permanently. You can't own the land uh, in that sense permanently. Uh, permanently and the idea is that we hold these things in trust we're stewards and trustees of the blessings we don't we don't own them they're not ours Mm -hmm. no I mean he probably no he's probably no well, Hebrew language, I mean, again, there's Hebrew language de- de- develops. I mean, the rabbis say that Hebrew did exist before the foundation of the world, that God created the world through Hebrew. But, the, but um, you, know, you know, but I, I think that there, there, is, there is, you know, there number a- ancient dialects. Hebrew is, is a Semitic language in the Semitic language family. But the interesting thing about the idea of even the name Hebrew, right, we'll get to in a minute. But the word Hebrew comes from the word uh, to cross over in Hebrew. Ivri. In Hebrew, it's called Ivrit. Avar means to cross over. And Ivri is a Hebrew because Abraham is the one who crosses over. Literally, on his journey, he literally crosses over physically the Tigris and Euphrates to go on the journey. Okay, so th- this is the language in the people of who learns to pass over. But before, but let me just stop there. there. Is there anything else that you want to add or something, brother, the questions you want to ask about that, What you, comments you want to make of your own on the question you asked me about not making our purpose or our... Yeah. Yeah, I mean when it comes to wrestling with that stuff, you know, am I am I, you know, am I am I gifted to do this? Am I passionate about doing this? Do other people acknowledge that calling, you know, upon my life? I mean, I think you know, I think the good news is that, you know, God wants to give us the desires of our hearts as long as we place him first. And I think sometimes people um, go too far and God wants to open the door and bless us. It's kind of like um, God in his mind has. Okay, I put it like this. So when, my, so when my kids are little, right, my kids are younger, they love playing dress-up and they love to wear some of our clothes, right? And the clothes were just, you know, my, like my dad had some old army clothes, and they wanted to wear his army clothes, and, you know, they're just so big on them, they don't really fit, or like a football jersey or something like that, and it's really cute to see these kids wearing these clothes that don't fit. But the truth of the matter is that God has clothes for us that don't fit. The clothes that he's designed for us are too big. Why? Because he wants to see us grow into it. Right? So God has a God has a God has a picture of your life that he wants you to grow into. It's kind of like the promised land. The land needed to be taken possession, and they were to take it possession slowly to grow into taking the not all at once, but over time they would take the entire land, they would grow into and fill the land. And I think there's two dangers, right? There's, there's one danger is of trying to overreach and take more land or more, more position or more title or more power, more authority. And that's rightfully to us. That's one c- issue. Or take up too much space, that's, that's, that's pride. Occupying space that God hasn't designated for you or, or given to you as an inheritance. But the other, which is, I think, more common, way more common, is fearful of being prideful and not stepping in and fully occupying the fullness of the space and, t- and, that, and the power and authority that God wants us to fill. It's, it's scary because, because this is the thing. It's like people want the blessing, but they don't understand that with the blessing comes a burden. Every blessing is a burden. How is the blessing a burden? I don't mean it in a negative way, but th- here's the reality. God blesses you with something. Guess what? You have the responsibility to steward it. If you're a four talent type of dude and God gives you t- and, and you wind up somehow grabbing for yourself ten talents, that is not a blessing. Because if you got four talents and you somehow wrangled ten, you're responsible for those ten talents when you only can handle four. That's not good. But even more than that, and, and another th- reality is that because we have to we you know we are accountable for how we use the things that we have. Being rich is not a blessing if you don't know how to steward it. But also in the sense of leadership, there's a burden of leadership. If you don't have a sense of burden as a leader or as a parent, (laughs) you're a narcissist. There's something wrong with you. If you don't feel the weight of responsibility that comes with being a leader, there's something wrong with you as a person, right? The prophets received the what? The burden of the Lord, right? The burden of the Lord. In fact, what it, okay, so here's an interesting thing. We talked about the word test. Okay, it's related to this word nasa. That Hebrew word nasa is the secret to marriage and leadership in this one word, nasa, okay? The word nasa means to, It means to, to, to lift up. Okay. So, or to bear. It's used of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. But, but it's also the word for marriage. Nesuin comes from the same root. It's like the groom carrying the bride over the threshold. So what is the foundation of love? And what is the foundation? And, And by the way, if you go to Israel and you want to meet the president, he's called the Nasi. It comes from the same word, Nasa, to lift up or bear. Right? Because what is the essence of leadership and what is the essence of love? It's bearing other people's burdens. This is Galatians 6. Paul writes, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Messiah. Bearing each o- a leader is one who bears the burdens of another. That's why he says, Jesus, come to me while you're hearing heavy laden, and I will give you right take my burden. Right? He promises to bear our burdens. That's what a leader does. If you're a leader that's not making the load of other people lighter and helping to bear the burdens, you're a dictator. right? You're not the godly type of leader. right? You're just trying to get stuff from them or put stuff on them. But that's not what a leader is. A leader is one who bears. So there's a burden that comes with leadership. As a leader, I feel the pain of of, of of people that come to me. My heart breaks for them. I, I, I want to do. I mean, I want to do something. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so if there's so that's part of what keeps us humble, keeps us godly, is that we carry that sense of of burden with us. I mean, I would say that every time I get up to speak, there's always a little bit of like. An- not, not not anxiety but there, but there, but there's a little bit of fear and trepidation because it's the Word of God you know I, I mean I want to handle it correctly you know I, I don't want to waste people's time I don't want to just give information and just pu- that puffs people up. I want to see people transformed and I take it se- I mean I take it seriously serious thing. So there is that, there was just, I think it's a healthy thing there to bear. And so Abraham goes to these 10 tests, and I think 10 is very significant. But like, it's kind of like the 10 trials of Abraham are like the 10 plagues that are come on Egypt. They're meant to cultivate a deep faith. And it's kind of interesting because Abraham's 10th test is offering Isaac his firstborn son, I mean, his, first, his literal firstborn son, his biological firstborn son on the altar, the son of promise. And the 10th plague on Egypt is what? Blood on the doorpost of the death of the firstborn. Because every firstborn belongs to the Lord. So the 10th plague, you know, Offer Sarah's firstborn, your firstborn with Sarah. Cultivate faith. And I think here's the reality, and this is really, I think, key, is this, right? Is that there's a burden that comes with blessings. But here's the thing, like, you're like, God, man, everyone, who doesn't want the promises of God, right? Who doesn't want, God, I want your promise. Abraham wanted the promise. You know who I mean he would do any leave he'd leave everything for the promise. The promise is the the follow the Lord and the fill is the pearl of great price. You find it, go sell everything and go for it, right? It's the kingdom, sell everything. It's for the promise, right? For for the kingdom, for the king. But and and and, and you know one of my one of my guys I love the most of all the patriarchs, man, I love Jacob. Because you know what? We're all like Jacob. Man, Jacob's like, he's he's like, you know, he's like so real, right? Here's this guy. He's born twins in the mother's womb, Jacob and Esau. Jacob so desires the blessing that he tries to pull his brother back into the womb so he can be the first one to get out. That's why his name's Jacob. It means heel. Imagine being born the heel. Right? All of us have the promise, all of us want the promise, but here's what we don't understand. You don't have the promise apart from the process. The receiving the promise, there is a process that you have to go through to receive the promise. Jacob begins by being named the heel, the supplanter, the deceiver, he has to wrestle with his brother in the womb, wrestle with his brother, tries to trick him, you know, tries to sell me your birthright for this bowl of pottage because you're hungry. He dresses up as his brother, tricks, tricks his father to get, the, to get the blessing. Right, Jacob wrestles with his brother. He wrestles with his father. He wrestles with his uncle Laban because he so wants the blessing. And in the, and in the end, what he realizes is that, that the only person that he had to wrestle with was the Lord. And then God changes his name to one who is a supplanter, the one who wrestles with God and overcomes. But Jacob had to go through a process of transformation to lay hold of the promise. You're in in a process. This world, this life, the test, all that. this is the process that God has us in of transformation. This world is like the butterfly in the cocoon trying to transform from a You know, I love it. It's like uh, caterpillars turn into butterflies. The amazing, isn't that amazing? I mean, a caterpillar, you know how it does it? In the caterpillar, there's something that's been termed imaginal cells. And in the imaginal cells, there, are, there is the, there's the DNA, there is the potential to become a butterfly. But for the imaginal cells to be released, the caterpillar has to decompose, literally become goo. In the goo, the imaginal cells find one another, and they become what is the butterfly. And then the butterfly has to break out of the cocoon, and it's the struggle of breaking out that gives it the strength to be able to fly. That's the story of Jacob. That's the story of our lives. You have imaginal cells. You have a potential in you that doesn't seem possible to be something other than you are, but it's going to take breaking down. You're going to have to become glue before you become something glorious. And, and, and you're going to have to go through the struggles of breaking out of the cocoon so that you can fly. That's what the problems, that's what the process, that's what all of us have to go through. in And I think the very fact that you're wrestling about it says there's something good <laughs> you know i'd be worried i worry about the person when they don't wrestle <laughs> don't trust a leader that doesn't walk with a limp god uses wounded people broken people if you're not broken there's something wrong that's who god uses he uses broken vessels he doesn't use any sort of other vessel so thank god for that all right, brother. All right, well, yeah. no it doesn't no, okay, no. Okay. <laughs> mm yes the, um, Bible, yes uh uh-huh. Gen- a genesis exodus numbers the decates the numbers in deuteronomy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and deuteronomy uh, like sure yeah. No, you can't understand look, the the old is the foundation, the, the the new is the fulfillment. Right? It's the it's it's the roots and the shoots. But let me just say that about this. It says in Hebrews eleven, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. That's the key word there. Obedience leads to blessing. So Here's something I think really significant. That why does Abraham go through 10 tests? What is the significance of 10? We have to understand what has a tie to obedience. When God speaks the world into existence, God speaks 10 times. So 10 is the foundation of creation. God says, God speaks 10 times in Genesis, and the world comes into being, okay? Okay. How many plagues does God bring upon Egypt? And how many commandments are there at Sinai? And literally in Hebrew, they're not called the Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Utterances. God speaks ten times, just like he did at creation. So what is the connection between 10, 10, and ten? God holds all things together by his what? By his word his word is the foundation of everything that existed because all things came into existence literally by his spoken word and by the living word the logos john 1:14 and jesus the yeshua the word became flesh and dwelt among us right so the living word br- and the spoken word is what brings forth all of creation and gives life and so literally from a from a hebraic perspective how many of you guys have seen the movie The Matrix, right? Literally, there is a, sp- like, it's an analogy, right? There is a spiritual matrix. God's word somehow is the, is the, is the code, is the spiritual code behind everything that exists is God's word, okay? Okay. If you could look behind it, you'd see the word that God spoke over all of creation that brought it into being. Because he holds all things together by his word. Then in 10 plagues on Egypt, literally what you have in Egypt, if you look at the language there, it's literally... So, okay... So in Genesis chapter 1, the world is in a state of what before God speaks? Chaos. The world is chaos, formless and void, okay? Then God speaks, and order and light comes out of chaos by the word. When Pharaoh disobeys the word of God, what happens? The world collapses because he disobeys the word, and it goes back to a state of chaos, formless and void. God calls forth light, they get darkness. God creates life, his firstborn experienced death. God restrains the waters and the animals, and, and this is the exact, it's literally an undoing of creation. Because when we obey, we are in alignment with With the word, we're in alignment with the spiritual order of creation. Alignment, order leads to alignment, and alignment leads to blessing. When we disobey, we literally break the code, and chaos results. That's why Proverbs says, get wisdom. (laughs) Right? When we disobey the word, what happens is we're literally destroying the spiritual fabric of creation. That's why, literally... When Adam sins, all of creation falls with him, right? Everything falls, not just spiritually falls, it physically falls because we were the stewards of creation. Physically, the animals, the health, the life, everything is affected by our, by our faith and our obedience to God. That's why God says to Israel, when you obey, there'll be rains and the land will be blessed. When you don't obey, there's going to be curses. Literally, our Faith and faithfulness to God and to his word brings blessing. When, we, when societies ignore God's word, they collapse, they crumble. Because whether people have faith or don't have faith, it doesn't make a difference. Listen, you can say you don't believe in gravity. If you walk off the building, you're going to experience gravity, even though you can't see it and might say it doesn't exist. If you don't believe in it, you're gonna, it's real. It's real. Same as with God's word. People can say they don't believe it, they don't buy it, they don't whatever, but when you when you break it and deny it, there are consequences because it's part of the DNA of creation. It's part of how God created the world, it's part of the code. And that's just the reality. And so Oftentimes, our lives and our families and our communities and our nations are in a state of chaos and not in a state of order because we are allowed of alignment with the will of God and the word of God. When we order our lives around his, the Lord and his word and his promises, we prove we are radical sojourners and experience his uh, radical blessings let me stop there and ask if there's that that was a lot to take in does that make sense questions on that whether people believe the word of God don't believe the word of God it's truth and when you break the truth the truth sets you free but if you break the truth you're imprisoned and you're in chaos whether you acknowledge it don't acknowledge it it doesn't make difference Right, well, the, the the connection between God speaks ten times, the ten plagues on Egypt, the ten times God speaks at Mount Sinai, the reason why God speaks ten times at Mount Sinai, he's trying to bring about new creation. They just experience disorder by disobedience to the word. By talking about ten, which is the foundation of creation, the foundation of redemption, ten plagues he brings us out of Egypt with the ten the different tens, and then Abraham himself goes through 10 tests, 10 trials, right, because God is trying to make Abraham into a new creation, and it's that 10 that brings, it's that 10 that's connected to, just like it's connected to creation, it's created to new, the, the new creation, So what I guess what I'm trying to say is that rather, if you want to be a sojourner, if you want to be a spiritual champion, you know, we have, to, we have to be obedient to the Lord. I mean, honestly, I feel like the word obey is the new four-letter word. Like there's, hyper, there's such hyper grace out there that somehow we've thrown away obedience. Right? I mean, I feel like people are like, we want revival. We want revival. Pour out your spirit. And, like, we, we, we think revival is kind of like a feeling or an encounter. And all that can be true. But the reality is that the, if you read the book of Acts, the fruit of revival is obedience to the Lord and to his word. Right? It's a new, G- Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commandments. You know, there's an, there's an aspect of obeying God that brings love, not in a legalistic sort of way. We do it out of a sense of, Love and devotion for God—not a sense of rote doing it, like you know—but out of love. So I mean, I think that we have to really, uh, you know, because I, I feel like so—I feel like there's such a focus in our society about, and, and I and I think it's something good, but finding like there's a real focus on self-fulfillment right? But the New Testament is, it's no longer I who live, but Messiah who lives in me. It's not about my, it's not about me, it's about him. And it's not about me, it's about we, it's about us and the kingdom and what God has called us to do together. And we have to like, there's so much hyper individualism and so focus on me, 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 that, you know, I'm concerned that sometimes that we don't, you know, we, we don't say, Lord, what is it, what is it that you want? Sometimes God calls us to do radical things, radical obedience. And I think even, and maybe this is a better way to say it, right, is that, you know, sometimes I'm like, so, like, how many, like a healthy place to live in is we should want more of the Lord, more wisdom, more revelation, more encounter, more, 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 more intimacy with him i mean i don't know about you but i want to hear God's voice more in my life i want him to reveal more things to me you know and i was walking I was you know some uh, you know i was, I was walking y- even last night i'm like lord I have these promises you promise promises for my life i want to see them fulfilled i've been waiting for them come on i, I feel like come on I, now's the time lord come on it's like do or die for me And I felt like the Lord say to me, you know what? I'm not going to give you more until you do something with what you already have. It's like like sometimes God tells us clearly to do something and we don't do it, but then we want God to to speak to us more and give us more revelation and more insight, but we're not even doing with what we have. Right? It's like if God's asked us to do something and we like kind of ignore it, then we're like, God, why aren't you like doing more? Why aren't you showing me more? It's like He's not gonna do like do more until we obey and do what we already know we should do. And I feel sometimes it's like dangerous, like because look, I love the Holy Spirit, I love the supernatural. I feel like sometimes people are running after these supernatural things and these impartation and they're not doing like the simple f- gospel. They're not doing this like the simple clear things that you know, God asks us to do and we're like god we want supernatural this and we're not even doing like the simple things. And I and I love this story I think that um there was an American linguist and biblical scholar who devoted his life to prove the reliability of the Hebrew Bible. His name was Robert Wilson. He learned 45 languages, and taught at Princeton Seminary. Uh, he lived to ni- he taught. He lived in lived in the 1920s and 30s. Was his, uh, well, born in 1856. And one day, one of Dr. Wilson's came, students came to preach in the seminary. 12 years after graduation, Dr. Wilson came to hear him preach. Sat down in the front row to listen to his former student. And at the close of the meeting, the professor came to him. He said, I, he said, if you come back, I will not come back to hear you. I only come once to hear my former students. And I come to ascertain only one thing. And he goes, what is that? He goes, I want to know if my students are big godders or little godders. And the guy's like, because then I know what their ministry will be like. And his former student asked him to explain. He said, well, some men have a little God. They're always in trouble with him. They don't feel God can do miracles. They don't, they don't, they don't believe in the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures. They don't believe God intervenes in people's lives in any sort of dramatic way. I call them little godders. And there are those who have a great God. And who, sp- and, and who believes that when God speaks and it's done and believes God can act strongly and supernaturally on their behalf, they're big godders, and I know God will bless the ministries of those who are big godders. Friends, everyone in Hebrews 11 is a big godder, right? They have a big god. Sometimes, like, J- J.P. J- was Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small, Right? Sometimes our God, we make God small. We've got to have a perspective. God is a big God. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Our faith. Do we believe in an all-powerful God that created the heavens and the earth that wants to engage us to fight for us, that will help us overcome? Listen, little godders are overcome by their circumstances. Big godders overcome by faith. So you're either overcome by your circumstances or you overcome. It's one or the other. I don't want to be overcome. I want to be an overcomer. We have the promise that by faith we can overcome. So let me just stop there and see if uh, you guys have any questions. If not, I'll just close with a few um, principles here. Right, a few principles. L- so let me just say this: We said this earlier that God says, that, "You know, God calls Abraham." In Genesis fourteen thirteen, God is Abraham is called the first time the term Hebrew is used. Genesis fourteen thirteen is Ivri, I V R E, it means the crossover. But why is Abraham referred to as an Ivory? Because literally, God calls Abraham out, and he literally had to cross over from the Euphrates from Ur to enter into the Promised Land. It was a major transition. It's kind of like Columbus sailing for the new world. It was uncharted territory. And this is Abraham. So an Ivory Hebrew is someone who is willing to be on the other side. A person who has the courage to be different from the rest of the world The rabbi said all of the world was on one side, but Abraham was on the other side. Abraham was willing to cross over. That's a sojourner. A sojourner is one like Abraham who wants to cross over. They don't want to stay stuck on this side. They live for the sake of the other side. They live for the sake of crossing over. Willing to take a stand, even if it means stand alone. Not afraid to cross physical and spiritual borders and boundaries. In other words, Abraham was a pioneer. It's kind of like the four-minute mile. No one thought you could break the four-minute mile, right? Then one person breaks the four-minute mile, and then all of a sudden everyone's breaking the four-minute mile. Why? It was a psychological boundary. If you think it can't be done, it can't be done. As soon as one person shows it's possible, it can be done. All of a sudden, people are starting to do it. It takes one person to cross over, to break the record, to break the barrier, and that person becomes a pioneer and opens up the way for other people. That's who God has called us to be, that sort of pioneer. So literally, when God calls Abraham a Hebrew, he literally calls him outside of his tent and shows him the stars of the sky. What is he saying to Abraham? He's saying to Abraham, he says, literally, the tent represents the material limitations. God says, you can transcend the tent, the limitations of this natural world. Abraham had a standalone even when his wife, Sarah, didn't believe and laughed. And how old was Abraham when Sarah gave birth to Abraham? I, uh, to Isaac, hundred years old. Why a hundred? Because it goes back to ten. One hundred is ten squared. Which is also hundred is the numerical value of the word, lech lecha. Therefore, go equals hundred. Because Abraham was willing to go, God gave him the promise of the promised child. Connects to the ten tests. And guess in Genesis chapter twelve, verse one. There's ten letter Alephs. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew Bible. And guess what na- letter Abraham's name begins with? The letter Aleph. The letter Aleph has the, he- the numerical value of what? Of the number what? One. Why? Because Abraham was willing to be the only one. He was being willing to be the one to follow God. He was being the willing to be the one to cross over. The blessing does not come unless we become like Hebrews, like Abraham, and cross over. Think about it. In Genesis 15, God crossed through the parts of the animals to make the covenant. One must cross over the Jordan. Israel had to cross through the Red Sea, Israel had to cross the Jordan 40 years later. Like Abraham, we have to create a new path, a new way, dare to be different, to go outside of ourselves, willing to go beyond our boundaries, our old way of thinking, believing. We must be willing to go outside. Where was Messiah crucified? Outside the camp. We have to be willing to cross over to go beyond, to transcend the physical, emotional, and spiritual limitations and confinements and barriers that we place on ourselves. The fathers of faith gave us a legacy of faith and inheritance that we have the ability to overcome the impossible by faith, lech lecha, dead or done. And so even Abraham has Isaac at 100 years old, and when God blesses Isaac in the year of famine, he sows and reaps how much? No, 100-folds. The process it gets into Isaac the faith to believe, friends overcoming the supernatural, overcoming faith. Guess what? It is in our DNA. I love this verse. It says, "It says uh, in it says in Job. It says, he says, if there's hope for a tree." right? Even at the scent of water, a tree, a stump will begin to sprout, is what it says in Job. Friends, if there's hope for a tree, there's hope for you and me. It's like out of the stump, at the scent of water, it will begin to grow. What is Messiah? He's called the what? The stump of Jesse, right? The whole entire house was cut down. The descendants were almost cut off. But out of the stump, out of the dead stump, everything is cut off. There grows out of the stump the promise, the branch of Jesse, the, the, from the roots. So, friends, it's in our DNA to grow, to resurrect, to transcend, to have faith like our fathers and our mothers. Let me just give you a few principles real quickly as we close. Uh, this is from the last test, Genesis 22 where we read in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested off for Isaac, would receive the promise, was offering up his only begotten son. You can read it. So quick, some few lessons, right? Sojourning, faith is willing to move forward without all the details. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. He just says go. Go to the place I'll show you he doesn't tell him where. He just says, go, you go, and I'll show you. God doesn't show us all the details. He doesn't give us all the facts. He doesn't give all us all the information when he just tells us to go. Okay? So if you want all the details, if don't drive yourself crazy. You're not going to get all the details. Part of the faith journey is just believing God to go. And by the way, it's the same in the Great Commission, the same words, therefore go make disciples. The Great Commission is all connects back to Abraham, but we don't have time to go there tonight. It's the same language. To so just go. It's, by the way, the God, Israel, when they're standing at Mount Sinai, when God offers us the com- covenant, this is what they say. They say, na'asevani shema, we will do and we will understand. So let me, so let me say what's that significant. We will do and we will understand. What does that tell you? Right, you don't understand unless you do. True understanding comes through doing. That's why you can't have the details first. They won't make sense. It's kind of like when I had kids, I could read all the books about parenting. Reading a book on parenting and parenting are two very different understand things. You can't learn to parent from a book, right? You can't learn to, to, to kiss your wife from the book. You can't learn to be a, 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 a spouse from a book. You can't learn leadership from a book, right? You, 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 the only way you can fully understand is by doing. So God oftentimes doesn't give us all the details. He just says go. B- have the faith to go. Not going to get all the details. Sojourning faith moves forward without the details. Sojourning faith is quick to act. It says, in, in Genesis 22, it says, And Abraham rose early in the morning. I mean, some of you, like, you know, think about it. Some of you are like, you, you're looking at me, you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, some of us aren't morning people. God says to Abraham, he rises up early. Can you imagine this? God says to Abraham, offer your son. If God tells me to offer my son, I'm, like, taking as long as I can to have to do that. Abraham rises up in the morning. But you know what? He's quick to run after, to do the will of God. But it's even more crazy that Abraham rose early in the morning. The fact that he arose early implies that he what? He slept. I mean, I'm I'm being told to offer my only son. I just kicked out my other one, offer my son. I don't think I'm going to sleep the night before. You're not, you're not I'm not going to have to wake up early in the morning. I'm not going to have gone to bed. <laughs> you know, I mean I I mean I in college I had a hard time sleeping before a final test. Let alone Abril's final let alone Abraham's final test to offer his son. That's what distinguishes Abraham. Right? He knowing that he'd have to sacrifice his son, it didn't even disturb his sleep. He slept with what's called equanimity, mental calmness, composure, peace of mind. You know the greatest example of equanimity? It's Yeshua, it's Jesus. Right? They're out in the sea, they're on the boat. These are these are these are experienced fishermen used to being out on the lake in bad weather, and they're terrified by the storm. They go underneath, and what's what's Jesus doing? He's what? How can you sleep in the midst of the storm? Right? He gets up and he speaks one word and it stops. Why? Because he's not going to be disturbed. He's got peace of mind. God's in control. He's got it covered. Just like Abraham. Equanimity. When we go, do we have a faith that's so deep that when we go through the storms of life, can we not be disturbed and freak out? Sojourning faith doesn't just have equanimity. It trusts God with the details. It's quick to do the will of God. But sojourning faith is always looking up. It says Abraham looked up from a what? From the distance. See, so many times we have a problem with faith because there's two types of birds, right? We can compare. One is one is a chicken right some of us are like chickens we're just we're pecking at the ground we got our face in the ground ostrich head buried in the sand okay or you can be an eagle eagles fly high they can see everything If all you're doing is looking down, if all you're doing is looking at the natural situations and the circumstances, you are going to be overwhelmed. You're going to maximize your problems and minimize God. That's why the psalmist who was wrestling with evil said, then I went, I didn't understand why the wicked suffer, why the wicked prosper, and why the the righteous suffer. And then I did what? I went into the house of the Lord and it made sense. It changed his perspective. We got to stop looking down and start looking up. Abraham lifted up his gu- eyes. Why so downcast, all oh, your soul? Put your trust in God. It's like kind of like when I was when you're on the highway, and there's an accident. You get what are they called? People who look at the accident. What are they called out here? Well, in the East Coast, we call them. I think they, I thought they call them out here. Looky loos, looky loos, right? Or rubberneckers, same thing. Right, because they're craning their necks, right, to look. Right, some of us live like rock rubberneckers. That's how we live our spiritual lives. But Jesus says, one who puts his hand on the plowshear and looks back is not what? Fit for the kingdom. You can't live looking back. you got to live looking forward. Put your, fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. What are we What are we looking to? Look up. Look to the Lord. Don't look at your problems. A sojourning faith never goes it alone. Abraham goes on the journey. He takes Isaac and two two other young men with him. Here's the thing. They go together. The two of them walked on together. Here's a crazy thing, right? Isaac is not dumb. He says, "Lord, I see everything, but where's the animal for the sacrifice? God will provide himself." Listen, he's not dumb. Isaac is 37 or so years old at this point. He's Isaac's, an, Abraham's an old man. Isaac's a young. He's a he's a strong kid guy. And the reality is, unless we walk together, we will waver. Two are better than one. If one falls down, the other will pick them up. If we try and go it alone, we will not have the courage or the faith. We will waver. That's why Hebrews says, do not neglect the assembly of saints, the assembling of saints, as some are in the habit of doing. And what's the next verse? Even more so as we what? What's the day approaching? The Lord's coming. The closer we are to the Lord, the more we need community. (laughs) The more we need each other. The more we need each other. The crazier the world gets, the more we need each other in relationship. The more important the church is going to be. The more important spiritual family is going to be. There is going to come a point in history where if you're not in community, you won't be able to survive because you're not going to be able to have you're not going to be able to get everything you need to survive. You're going to have to depend on each other to be there. It's kind of what happens in a disaster, right? If there's a fire or an earthquake, if you don't have neighbors, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Can't go it alone from me to we. Sojourning faith trust God. trusts God to provide. It's being willing to put everything upon the altar because it trusts God to provide. Who are you trusting in? Do you trust God that he's got a ram in the bush for you? Or do you think God is holding out on you, that he's holding something back from you, that he wants to, like, he's begrudging, he, you know? No. Trust God. He's got the provision. He's got the ram in the bush. And the ram, you know, the, the, Isaac is a picture of Messiah. The father leads his son to be sacrificed. A donkey is involved. Oh, I can go a whole list of stuff. but Abraham lifts up his eye, and what day is it? He lifts up his eyes on what day? The third day. Isaac being raised off the offer, according to Hebrews, is a picture of the resurrection. Right? In the same way, Messiah is raised on the third day, literally, the son of the New Testament Isaac, the type of Isaac. It is the place that he was crucified. It's the place where the, t- where the Holy of Holies eventually gets established. You know, it's, well, it's, well, there's the questions, Mount Moriah. The, some people believe that's where the Holy of Holies is established, and the temple is on that spot. That Abraham offered Isaac. So, if that's the case, then he's he's outside of the camp. But I want—I don't want to argue with Pastor Phil. He's a great teacher, so we'll leave it at that. There's a lot of things that could be said, but friends, I just want to encourage you that you know we got to have the faith. you Got to have that sojourning faith. Listen, every child dreams of being able being able to fly. I'll close with the story. When I was a child. I remember my mom making for me, we had a, I went to an under ruse superhero party. I don't know if you remember what those are. But I was Hawkman and she made me these wings and I wanted, thought I could fly. Right, Every kid wants to be able to fly. And Samuel was no different. He was born in 1834 before the bicycle was invented and he was determined one day he would fly. He became Professor Samuel Langley, one of the greatest scientists of his day. And at the age of 68 years old, he was given $50,000 to build his flying dream machine. And that was a lot of money in those days. And the world came out to watch the launch of the aerodrome. And it seemed like history was going to be made. But unfortunately, it wasn't. His machine did not fly. It fell. It didn't go anywhere. People mocked him. They laughed at him, and this is what the newspaper headline said, Langley's folly, the flying machine which will really fly, might take 10 million years. There are better things to do. Can you imagine that headline today? And Professor Langley died a broken man. Two high school dropouts had the same dream. They had no money, no support. They crashed many times. They never gave up. They had complete wa- faith that one day they would fly. In 1903, a $1,000 fly- flying A $1,000 machine finally flew, dispelling all illusions. It flew 120 feet for 12 seconds. And later that day, they did 59 seconds. There was no press present. No one believed at first. Langley fell and was broken. Wilbur and Orville Wright fell, but they had the faith to get back up again and keep trying. Langley was overcome by failure, but the Wright brothers overcame by faith. They were committed followers of Jesus. Faith enables us to overcome. In fact, one of the brothers, I forget which one, actually wanted to go to seminary, but he had his teeth knocked out playing hockey, and so he figured he could never be a public speaker because he didn't have teeth. (laughs) But friends, I just want to say is that how is it that one man has all the resources and fails and dies broken, and how are these two young kids that have nothing yet they have a dream and faith and they have the ability to fly. Friends, God wants us to fly. God wants us to soar. God has a dream for you. And the final thing we have to understand about those that have a sojourning faith is this, that a God dream should put the fear of God in you. That if you have the ability to fulfill your dream and your purposes, on your own, it's not from the Lord, (laughs) because anything from the Lord is going to be bigger than you possibly have the skills or ability to be able to do. That is scary, because it requires faith. If you can do it without much help, it's not, it's not, you're not dreaming big enough. (laughs) You're not dreaming big enough. So I just want to encourage you in all of that, It was a blessing to be here with you tonight. Um, So I hope it was a blessing to you all. And thank you, you guys. If you have any questions, please feel free to come up. Lord, I just bless everyone here. And I just want to pray, God, make this a room full of Abrahams and Sarahs. And we just want to pray that this would be a season in which we cross over. God, help us to cross over from fear to faith. Help us to cross over from the problems to the promise. Help us to cross over from living in a state of oy to living in a state of joy. Help us to cross over from a sense of weariness to to a place of rest. Help us cross over from exile into the promised land, into the redemption. Help us to be those who realize we are just passing through and that what awaits us when we cross over to the other side, when we cross over from this world to the world to come, the promise that we have in your son is so much bigger and better than anything we could ever imagine. Help us to live for that. I bless everyone here. Give them the faith of Abraham and Sarah, the the mother and father of the faith, but more, most importantly, give us the faith of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, the true son of Abraham. Amen.